Hey friends, I'm Tony. And I'm Tyson. And welcome to Two Dudes Who Don't Drink, a podcast where we explore the day-to-day struggles and the stressors that come with this thing we call life. We will be aiming to offer our listeners practical tips and advice for navigating today without turning to alcohol. Each week, we'll be joined by experts and ordinary people who are making it through their daily grind without a drink in hand. So if you're looking for a supportive community of like-minded individuals eager to learn and grow together, then saddle up and get ready for a ride with Two Dudes That Don't Drink. Episode 5 here of Two Dudes That Don't Drink. Thank you all for being here and tuning in. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. Yeah, happy to be here. (laughs) Dynamite drop in, Monty. Yeah. Um, That's what I do. Yeah, Two Dudes That Don't Drink. Comic relief over here. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. This is episode five of Two Dudes That Don't Drink. Uh, as always, you are joined by Tony and Tyson. And today we have a special guest with us, Mr. Brady Smith. Brady, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for, for having me on here. Yeah, thank you for coming. We appreciate appreciate you coming in. Appreciate you. What's What's so funny? Just do appreciate you. Like, he was laughing. I was laughing. You're not fucking laughing. Like, what's wrong with you? Eat that mic. Bar. Don't put that in my mouth. <laughs> Used to saying that. Mm, whoa. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, here hey. we go. Here hey. we go. Two dudes that don't drink. We're on Instagram and Facebook. And the podcast is on Apple. Apple. And Spotify. Spotify. Are we on anything else yet? Amazon. Amazon. And I think soon to be YouTube. Yeah. Soon to be YouTube. Soon to be YouTube. working, working on YouTube eventually. So you'll be brought to wow. the, the masses, the corners of the world. The corners of the world. Uh, yeah. Once we have, you know, a couple million views and yeah, things are going to go super, uh, super hot after that. But uh, yeah, check us out on all your favorite social media and podcast destinations, if you will. Uh, once again, we want to give a shout out to OMG for the use of their studio we are recording episode five here in the Auto Media Group podcast studios, part of the Connect Magazine podcast network. Auto Media Group studios are also home to our local Mankato business podcast, Get Deep, which is hosted by the ridiculously good-looking friends and business owners, Aaron Jones and Wes Otto. Be sure to check them out as they bring many local business owners and titans of their industries on Get Deep. Check them out on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to like and subscribe to their page. Uh, so do we want to start with this random question from the chat? Maybe our, uh, maybe Brady can sure. uh, throw down on it too. So uh, Brady, for you that for you probably don't know, Tyson and I have this like thing about streamers are like always have this like computer and there's yeah. always a chat going. And so we're like, hey, shout out from the chat or like the chat hit us up on the chat and we actually don't have a chat going. Yeah. <laughs> We have a Facebook page and people write questions, write questions or send us like a message. And so I had a message that came up from somebody I know. And, and, um, this person's question was, how does a person deal with drinking when they don't have a supportive spouse? Uh, Tyson and I always talk about, we have a supportive spouse and this person mentions that like our spouse, uh, is supportive to us. Um, but this person has a spouse that, uh, like that spouse that just feeds the drinking even more when they know it isn't actually helping. Um, we talk a, a lot about our wives and how much they're a big reason why we don't drink. Um, 
And the rest of the question they ask, uh, what about those of us who clearly do better when we are, aren't drinking, but our spouse feeds the drinking or doesn't support the sobriety? Okay. So I guess the main thing as far as, you know, from my own personal experience, um, they're deciding to drink or not drink has nothing to do with somebody else. It has everything to do with me. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So if somebody else is not supportive of my drinking, if it's my spouse, you know, my girlfriend, my girlfriend in my situation is very supportive. I mean, she, she's a normal drinker. She, sure. you know, just fine. Um, where I'm, I'm zero or a hundred, like there's, mm. there's no option in between. But it's, it's, it's completely up to me if I'm drinking, if, you know, even if she wasn't supportive of me, which she is, I'm, it, her support isn't going to make a difference in my sobriety. Like if, if I'm going to get sober, I've got to get sober for myself. I'm not getting right. sober for other people. If I try to do it for other people, I'm not going to stay sober. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah I completely agree. And I, and that's what I told her. I, I, um, I told him that, uh, you know, you got to do it. You got to do it on your own. Like the, it's going to be a tough conversation that you're going to have to have with this person, your spouse, and just say, Hey, like I'm going down this sobriety path. And I said, sometimes when you just do something, eventually that person will see that you're right. doing so well and you're just killing it that they're just going to follow. Right. They're just going to naturally follow your lead. And maybe they don't get completely sober like you, but they're certainly going to respect the fact that right. you're sober. And some support down and the then, road. Exactly. The support's there. So, um, oh, yeah, got to start with yourself. Exactly. That's, that's the main, main place. We certainly talked about that sobriety is very much a, uh, a selfish thing. Yep. Um, right away. And I mean, sometimes throughout the, the whole, the whole journey, I wish we had a better word than journey, but it's like the best word to use. Right. right? Well, I, mean, I mean, it is a I mean, journey. it is a journey. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Same with triggers. We got to find a better word than triggers. There, there <laughs> might be a better word for that, but yeah, I, I'm kind of on the, the same page. Um, you know, I kind of referred to it as uh, the drinking buddies type of thing. Uh, you know, you can, you can definitely love your spouse and love their companionship and want to be with them. Uh, forever because, you know, you might have kids or you might have a family or whatever the case may be. But at the same point, if you can't focus on your sobriety, which for me and for us is the most important thing, you know, in, in my life, truthfully, right. you know, if I can't focus on that, then I probably can't be with you right anymore. And the thing that I talked to Tony about was, you got to start having a hard conversation, mm -hmm. you know, and that's one of the, the things that I think people are really scared to kind of open that sobriety, you know, start that sobriety journey is because they, I have to do something hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. Hard. <laughs> right. Like I don't want to do anything hard, Yeah, but sometimes you just got to do the hard things. Right. Right. And so Really, if you're, you know, if your sobriety means to you, if uh, what it means to me, then we're going to have to have a tough conversation as a husband and wife or, you know, as a spouse, partner, whatever, and just say, this is really important to me. And if you can't be behind me, then, you know, it might not, it's right. just probably not going to work. Right. You know, and that's, that's the, the situation with me now kind of reflecting on your situation where you have they drink and you don't, mm -hmm. you know, they're still supportive, but I feel like this question was coming from a 
from a person who really felt like it was a, a need to keep up with. And, you know, is that accurate? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think there was this person, the, she wants to get sober right. and it sounds like her spouse is just like, no, no, let's do whatever. Let's right. have another drink and, right. and so, or, yeah. or let's start drinking. Yeah. Continually pushing that boundary uh, from a spouse standpoint. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, it's just, you got to set the boundary at some point. Right. And you got to set it one with yourself as so you're not going to drink it again. And then, or whatever you're doing, whether it's right. drinking drugs, whatever it may right. be. And then the second boundary is, you know, with your significant other, if you have one. Yeah. So anyways, like I said, we've got uh, Brady Smith here. Uh, Brady and I recently uh, in the last episode of the two dudes that don't drink podcast um, with Scott, I had talked about going on a bachelor party um, excursion to Las Vegas and, um, I had mentioned that I was there with a sober friend and that was Brady. That uh, it was, you know, and one of those things, when I found out you were going, the way that it was brought up to me was, uh, the groom had said, oh yeah, you and, uh, yeah, you and Brady can room together. And I was just like, oh, he brought just, it up the exact same way to me too. He's like, oh, I, you know, just cause we're sober, like we got to. Like we're forced to hang out with each other. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's, I mean, I, I'm cool with Brady. So yeah, that's fine. I think it worked out for the, be right. for the better, just kind of in general, because there was, I mean, it's a it's bachelor a lot of, party in Vegas. So. so I was at a bachelor party like a month before that. And it was 30, it was like 33 dudes in Yow. a cabin in Northern Minnesota. And <laughs> The the best thing about that I've learned in the past four and a half, almost five years that I've been sober is that when you go to these types of events, like you kind of get catered to because sure. people are like, well, you know, so I go to this party and they're like, well, we're going to give you a room in the second cabin that's in the basement and there's nobody else down there. Yeah. And I was like, this is the best spot in this entire right. place. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just because I don't want to drink like this is great. Right. Like I don't I can go past, you know, I can go to bed whenever I want mm -hmm. and I'm not going to have a bunch of people like knocking on my door. Right. Like when yeah. when the when we went out to that bachelor party in Vegas yeah. and the groom was like, yeah, hey, we're going to have you guys room together is like, that's perfect. Cause right. that one, like you put the smallest guy with the biggest guy. <laughs> so I don't have to worry about anybody coming into our room because they're yeah. not going to mess with him. Like this is great. And it's, he's not going to come stumbling in drunk or right. something or, you I know, thought, so there, I thought it there's was, tons of benefits. Yeah. I thought it was funny the way that the groom brought it up though. He's like, yeah, you, you and Brady can room together. And I was just like, cool. Definitely. Okay. With that. Right. But it's like, you don't have to like do that. Like yep. Brady, you know, I didn't know who you knew there and mm -hmm. you know, what's the level of friendship you were going to have with everybody else. So I was like, don't just put Brady and me together <laughs> just because we don't drink together. Right. But yes, I think at the end of the day, it was perfect. We planned golf. Yeah. Um, you know, that was super awesome. Something that I can say never would have happened if we, if I was drinking. Yeah. You forgot to mention you're a scratch golfer too. No, so no. <laughs> Shot, shot like almost the best round all year that I've had. Did you run clubs? No, I, we brought our clubs. You brought your clubs. Mm -hmm. You knew that you were going to go golfing? Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, we planned it. Yeah, we had high intentions of going golfing and we did. Just yeah. you two? Yep. Just the two. Well, everybody else was either still up from the night before yeah. or sleeping. Right. See, isn't that great? No, you got to 
hit a, have you ever played that course that you played? No, no, no it, was it was fantastic. A really, nice, really nice course. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> got up at the butt crack of dawn and went out and played or what? Yeah. Our tea 630? time. 630? Well, tea time was 720. 720. Yeah. We were up at like 6, yeah. 6, 630. 6, 630, Let's I think. Go. And then we left. Uh, we had rented a vehicle down there. And so it just popped our stuff in the vehicle mm-hmm. and drove to the course. What time did you get home that night? Uh, like three, three thirty in the morning. Yeah. yeah. So it was still, it nice, was still it was a nice, rough. quick yeah. three hours, but it's different getting home at three thirty in the morning and going to bed sober, sober. and waking right. up yes. sober than three thirty in the morning drunk right. and yes. waking up hungover. So yes. it was doable. I was, right. I was tired. I, uh, but it was doable. I did the opposite. I did that where I showed up, uh, stayed up till three thirty in the morning drinking. Um, the, it was actually one of the last, it was the last trip that I took drinking. Um, and it was in Arizona and it was pretty much a golf trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had brought our significant others. Um, and we had a seven o'clock in the morning tea time cause it's, it was Arizona and you know, you can't go golfing out in Arizona past, I mean, same thing in Vegas, it's, you know, 10, 11 o'clock. Right. It's going to start being hot. And, uh, yeah, I went to bed at three, four o'clock in the morning hammered woke up at 6 30 hammered Hammered, uh was blown a zip code uh you know of course 7 30 in the morning you get (laughs) out to the club they've got a bar cocktails of course Mm -hmm. right um and i don't remember we golfed two rounds i remember like not that day oh back to back days no uh we golfed um around each day and I remember maybe five holes of all 36 um, from that, from that trip. Uh, you got to go back. You got to go back and do it again. So you can remember that course, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely one course that was way better than the other one. Uh, but just rat little snakes around and around. Yeah, everywhere. It was you know, nope ropes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no ropes. Yeah. I haven't heard that one. That's yeah. a good one. No ropes and danger noodles. Are you not a snake guy? I, I hate snakes. My wife is too. She can't stand them. No, no. You got snakes all over your house. We just had a bunch. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I told you the story. That so gardener snakes are pretty common in Minnesota. Right. So like our downspouts are black, and mm-hmm. the sun shines on the back side of my garage. There's a black downspout, and there's these big boulders that make up some of the landscaping. Well, of course. Boulders. They are boulders. They're big rocks. Oh, what do you call a big rock? Uh, a boulder. Okay. Uh, so there was like six of them mm-hmm. that were pool, like bunched up next yep. to the thing, and she was not having it. So my son and I went out and had a little snake wrangling party and <laughs> killed some and bunch of no ropes. ropes. Yeah, so. that's good. So, anyways, that's a little bit of background of uh, Brady. Brady and I, and let's get into a little bit more, um, a little bit further into the conversation, but yeah. why don't we start out with, uh, with kind of your story? Um, you know, let us know how old you are, obviously, uh, shout out to, uh, wife, Christina. She says that we say obviously too much. Oh, we do. A lot of things aren't obvious. They aren't so, obvious. Yeah. Not obviously. Tell us your story, where you're from, how old you are, what you do. Yeah. Let us us hear about Brady. All right. Well, I'm born and raised here in Mankato, uh, 36 years old, went to Mankato Loyola High School, graduated 2005. Um, Go Crusaders. Yeah. 
Go Satyrs. Yeah. Satyrs, uh, actually. Yeah. Oh, Crusaders, Satyrs. Oh, my daughter says that all the time. Sorry. Hey, sorry. No, you're all good. Um, yeah, I, as far as like what my, my drinking career and everything looked like, um, it, it started 15, 16 years old, uh, a little bit of weed here and then some cigarettes and then <laughs> weed, then cigarettes, weed, then cigarettes. Yeah. Found the weed first, then went to the cigarettes. Yeah. Um, after that, it was, uh, like junior year. We, uh, First thing I ever drank was uh, Captain Morgan Parrot's Bay. Ooh. And we got real tied up in some Parrot's Bay for about, I don't know, three or four months of junior year. Um, didn't drink beer or any of that until later on. Um, we were all about the hard liquor right off the bat. And that must be a main keto thing. Is the Parrot's Bay like a Malibu type thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's really sweet. Super sweet. Yeah. yeah. And they have like, four, you know, four different flavors or whatever. And, um, but yeah, I remember like my, a buddy of mine, his, his mom would be the one that would get us the booze. So I'd go in with this like 70 year old lady <laughs> who just looks like she was my grandma <laughs> and, and just buy it. Like the one time that, we had a, one of the times we had a party out at, at a, <laughs> out at a house party and we had two shopping carts full of booze in MGM. And it was just me and this old, like the poor little lady that's like buying just cases of just, beer. Just very obviously yeah, buying beer yeah, for oh, a buying, kid's party. Yeah, yeah. but they, they couldn't, you know, they weren't going to say anything. And <laughs> it's like some of those behaviors. And I just think back to that and it's just like, God, you know. Why? Like, why yeah. did I feel the need that yeah. I, you know, at that time it was maybe like I, like I thought it was so cool because I was the one getting the booze or I was, you know, doing this or that. And the, the thing that, you know, you learn, especially after you get sober is like how progressive like mm -hmm. addiction or alcoholism or whatever, yeah. however you want to classify it, how, just how progressive it becomes. Um, you know, it starts off. Yeah. I took a hit of weed and I had uh, getting some booze for people and then drinking it myself. And then, you know, it just, it just escalates, you know, um, how old were you when the, when the two shopping carts? Happened? I was probably like 17 years old. Sure. Yeah. Um, and it's just that, that became normal. Like I was, I, I prided myself for all those years up to 21 of being like the, the hookup guy. I was the guy with the, yeah, yeah I was the guy yeah. with the hookup and that, that was, that was the coolest thing for me. Sure. Um, and then, you know, you get into college and it was like, Oh, well now I can be the hookup guy for, you know, weed or whatever it may be. And that was, that was always like the like niche. And that's like how I found my friends and my friends groups were by being able to accommodate. Sure people like, Oh, people you, want it. you like the party? Yeah. Like I know I got, how to I find it. I know yeah. how to bring a party. I know yeah. how to find a party for you. Right. Um, but like looking back, like the, how many, like not necessarily at that time in my life, dark places, but like just ridiculous situations that I would find myself in, you know, a lot of where'd my car go or like, how did I wake up on this couch or why am I a mile and a half off the strip of Vegas? And this like, no good 
no good part of town that, on a Sunday. Happened. Like, yeah, um, that's a whole other thing. Okay. Well, we'll get into that. We'll get into that uh, um, next time you come on. Yeah. So it's just like, it's, it's just crazy to see, like, look back at life and like find that that was in my head, like made sense to do these things. Right. right. Um, you know, as far as, moving through, you know, my twenties. And then when I got, it was like 28, 29, I ended up, my girlfriend and I had a stillborn that was eight and a half months, uh, had a stillborn in eight and a half months, which was like, that's when my whole like addiction and everything, like that's where it turned dark. That's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's where like I went, you know, I was already in it. Like I'd been in it since the first time I started, like, being realistic. Like I was, I was an addict from the start. I was a, you know, I was born with this disease and this is what I have. Right. And that's the way that I've always, that's the way I've looked at it since, since it happened. And like, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. And then all of a sudden, like it wasn't fun anymore. And then it stopped being fun. And then that happened. And then it was just like, this is the only thing I know how to do. So then you just like, you just steer into it. Sure. Cause like there's no light anywhere else. And there's just this, you know, and like trying to get out of that. I went about three years from 29 to 32 is when I got sober at 32. And like those three years, like none of my friends knew like the things that I was doing, like, except for the people that I was doing it with. Sure. But I remember we went on a trip to uh, the Dominican for a wedding and we're on the strip and like, that's when it was like a bunch of my close friends and everything. And that's when they started to see like, wow, he's, he's in rough shape. Like he, he's not doing good. Sure. Um, and it was, it was actually shortly after that trip as well. Two months after that trip, it was, uh, yeah, December of 2018 by February of 2019, I had gotten sober. I, you know, I, <clears throat> I was sitting at my mom's house. I was living there. Um, cause obviously I, only had enough money for drinking and drugging or whatever. You know, I didn't have enough money to pay for rent somewhere cause I was right. using it all for everything else. And, um, you know, I was, I was sitting there with my mom and I was just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't, I can't keep living this way. And, you know, I was about to get to my busy season for work and everything. I mean, this is in January that I'm bringing this conversation up. And it's like, I just, I've got to go somewhere. Right. Like I can't, I can't be here. I can't be around the influence of this town. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I went to a place up in Waverly. It was, it was awesome. They had the best food. Um, and I came back like 20 pounds heavier than I was when I left. That's rare. Yeah. Well, no, I suppose people, people gain weight. And, I don't know. know if it was 20, but I definitely sure. put on some pounds cause they just fill you full of carbs. Like this, right. you're sobering up and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I got, I got out of there and yeah, I mean, I just, I started living my life differently. Sure. You know? And the, the thing is, is like through this whole process and like, looking back on my life and like getting sober and going through the dark times and all of that. It's like, I don't regret like any of those decisions that I've made. Right. Like 
some days it's like, God, why did I have to do that? But it's like, I had to do all of those things to get to this point today. Right. right. Um, it wasn't, I, I, I had to like going back a little bit when, when that, um, when we had our stillborn, instead of like staying at the hospital with my girlfriend at the time, like I was having a party that night at my house and I decided, I was like, I can't stay here. Like I, I've got to go show how strong I am to all my friends. Sure. And like, I go to the part, like I go to this party that I was hosting and left her to like deal with this. Like, and that's like something I had to talk to her that I was able fortunate enough to talk to her about later on after I got sober and like make that amend. And that right, was sure. like, clearing up the wreckage of your past is like the greatest thing about getting sober. It's like looking at all the shitty stuff that I did and like being able to like talk to those people or just reflect on it and being able to admit that. Right. And like go back and look at it and be like, yeah, you know, I messed up. Here's where I was at and not have to hold that anymore is like the greatest gift that I ever got from com- becoming sober. Like, yeah, I don't drink or any of that anymore. Like I don't have hangovers, right. but like not having to, hold that anymore is Dude. like the greatest relief off of my shoulders. Did you learn that somewhere or was that just something you were like, I'm, I have to do this. Oh no. I learned that by like I'd going to AA and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Like yeah. that's all program based sure. stuff right. like, that I learned because <clears throat> like me trying to get sober, I tried to get sober myself more than once, hundreds of times. Sure. Like, yep. I'm never going to do this again. I'm going to, I'd be, good for a week. I'd be good for a day, be good for an hour. Like, you know, you go, you stay up till four in the morning. I'm never doing this again. And then it's five in the afternoon or it's, you know, five and you're like, "Eh, I I feel halfway decent. Like I still feel like shit, but this will help. Right. And then you're doing it and you're just back in it. Like, it's just, it's It's crazy how wicked that cycle can be. It's a never ending cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And like once I got to the point of like seeing like, well, one, like when I got to the point, like I saw like no hope, like there's no light, there's nothing. It was just like, I just, I don't know what to do. I have no idea where I'm supposed to go. Are you, all of my are, you still in your, are you living at your mom's house? No, no. I, we have a townhouse. My girlfriend and I have a townhouse nice. and like, yeah, the life is. So you're back in your townhouse. You're just sitting in a, just a, in your living room or something. And you have this just revelation of shit i need to get oh sober well, at like- that time if that's what you're referring to i was living at my mom's house when i had that revelation that i was like i can't do this anymore that, that was, was that after like a, a like a three-day bender or what it like it just, was what was like, that described to people <clears throat> like what yeah so like i said like when i went on that trip and my friends started to like actually see it and that's when over the next like month when I would be out with my friends, I, I would get all sorts of drunk. And then I would go down this, like how like sad and like, like how I couldn't get myself to stop. I remember I was at a party, uh, with like three pretty close friends. And I was like, you know, this is where I'm at and here's what I'm going to do. And I, I'm not going to stop. Like I'm telling you, I want to stop, but I can tell you right now, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go do that. Sure. Like you're not, and you're not going to stop me. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And thinking like that is it's 
to me still terrifies me that like that was how like my normal thought process was like i knew there, there's not an addict or alcoholic right, that i've ever met that's an active addiction that wants to stay there like they want a, people want to get out of it it's just when you're in it you don't know how to get out of it and that's that's where people either are able to get out and find some hope and like hopefully live a better life or they they don't they don't find the hope and Unfortunately, you end up on the other side of that point. Um, but yeah, as far as like, you know, I was just, it was after having all those conversations and like finally starting to be more open about it to people that I finally came to an understanding with myself that I was, that I had a problem, that I needed to do something different and that I'm not the one that had a fucking answer to it that I had right. that I didn't have any answers anymore. Like I was fresh out of answers. So I had to try something that I'd never tried before. And when I did that, and then I went, I got away, I got, you know, some clean time under my belt so that I could come back with a little bit clearer mind. You know, you go through using and drinking for 16 years. Like you do some damage. Like it's, yeah. you don't come out unscathed. Right. It's no. not, it's not that way, but like the, the, what I've gained now through life over just even in these four years, it's like everything that I had lost prior, like I've gained that back and more. Right. And I've gotten things that I didn't know that I was going to get or that right. I needed or that I, you know, that I had never even dreamed of. Right. Um, and, and that's all just from, you know, a lot of just living your life differently. And, you know, the drinking and the drugging weren't solving any of my problems. Yep. Yeah. Like they're, all they do is just keep me from facing them and taking care of them. Absolutely. Um, I know that you had just talked about some, you had gotten yourself some clean time and you said that was in Waverly. Uh, yep. How long were you in treatment? 28 days. 28 days. Yep. Yep. Um, what kind of drinker were you? Uh, it was, it, it changed over the years. So like when, obviously, like I said before, I was, you know, like that Parrots Bay and then, uh, and then it went into more beer. Um, 21, it was, I was taking shots of Patron. I was drinking Captain Morgan's, um, or so Morgan you, Cokes. Like it was like blackout mode. Like you're, oh, you're yeah. heading for blackout. Like yeah. you're, you're not just. If I was, like I said, like I'm a zero or a hundred, either yeah. I'm out to drink yeah. or I'm not going to drink. Like, why would I go to the bar to have two drinks? Like, that seems like a waste of my time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, 100%. We're, we're, the, we're in the same boat. So, you know, you go out to dinner and you're like, the thing is, is that I didn't realize at the time, but it was like, as I got older, like I'm thinking everybody else is drinking just like I'm drinking. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, you get... I got to 27, 28. And it, all of a sudden it's like, everyone's not drinking. Like I'm drinking, like they're all at home with, with their families or they're having kids or they're, you know, or whatever it may be, but there may be out on a Saturday, maybe drinking like I'm drinking, but that they haven't gone out on that Saturday in six months. Right. Yeah. Well, I just went out for five days in a <laughs> yeah, row right. yeah. and drank that same way and it's yeah. Saturday. So yeah, now I got to drink been, like it's Saturday. I've but been I just, there. Yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah, Thursday, Friday, but I drink like Saturday. that on Monday through Friday too. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, 
I don't know. It, you just, yeah. Was there like, is there any, is there any one specific thing in this time frame that really nailed to you? Cause you said you couldn't do it alone. You right. Need some help. Was it like a certain event or a certain person that like triggered you to say, all right, enough's enough. This is it. I don't know if there, I mean, there was obviously like, you know, my mom was always like, you, I just wish you would stop like quit, quit, quit. But like that, I wasn't listening to that. Right. Um, Cause the more you, you told me to stop, the more I was like, you know, screw you. I'm going to go do what I want. Like, you can't tell me what to do kind of thing, you know? And so as far as like a specific thing, no, I think it was a, it was a culmination of a number of things that happened. Like I say, like, especially in those like couple of months prior where I actually started coming to realize that I really was, that I had an issue that I wasn't, I wasn't drinking like normal people drink. Like I wasn't just going to dinner and having a drink and going home. Cause if I did that, I'd be like, well, this sucks. I just really want another one. Well, you guys go home. I'll catch up with you later. I'll catch a cab home yeah. or mm-hmm. God forbid the, all the times that I drove home. And thankfully nobody was ever hurt right. in those instances, but like, yeah, it's just, it was, it was zero or a hundred. Like it just, it didn't, there's no in between. Sure. Uh, rewinding back a little bit into uh, your 28 days at Waverly. Um, I know that you had kind of touched on, you said that it was, you've done a little bit of AA. Um, are you like a big book guy, you meetings guy? What kind of has worked for you? And and like, what are some of the tools in your toolbox uh, in, yeah. in recovery? Yeah. So the, I, I still go to meetings. I love going to meetings. Um, and what, it's, what meeting do you go to? Uh, I go on Sunday, Wednesday, I usually go to 10 a.m. meetings. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, some, it, it varies, but sure. for the most part, I have a home group that I do every Sunday at 10 a.m. So is that Spring Lake? Fifth Ave. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but like, as far as like my meetings and like what I did, um, it, it really progressed throughout these four years. Like at one point I was, you know, I was just like twice a week or once a week and I was fighting my sponsor. Like, no, he's like, you got to go three times a week. I was like, well, what if I go to these two and I go to the smart recovery (laughs) meeting? He's like, no, you have to go to three AA meetings. And I was like, nah, how about I just do it this way? You know? And so like, still like trying to bend the rules and like do things my way. Right. Um, and then actually what ended up happening is in 2020, I had, I was playing softball and in the most non-heroic way, I went to throw a softball and my, when I went to throw my entire body felt like it got tasered and I fell to the ground and my disc, my C6, C7 disc slipped into my spinal cord and was a millimeter, less than a millimeter away from paralyzing me or leaving me as a quadriplegic. Whoa. From throwing a softball, I didn't do anything heroic. I didn't dive. I didn't do something cool. I threw and the ball landed next to me and I landed on my face, ass up in the air. And well, what happened after this is what I came to realize is that how much of like that program is a program that's not about me. It's about everybody. 
and like asking for help and like being willing to accept help because I made it to more meetings when I couldn't drive than I had ever made when I could drive, when I could get there under my own free will. Sure. When I had to start asking for rides, I was going to five, six meetings a week and I couldn't drive to any of them because I came to this, like, they talk about in the program sometimes about these like God moments and the spiritual. It's like, for me, that was like God's like my God moment of like, Hey, you're going to listen. Like you have a choice. You can either accept that you need help from other people as well. And that you can't just do, you can't just show up and sit down and expect yourself to get better. Right. Like you have to do some things. You have to change some things like, yeah, you're sober. Great. But you need to do something different. And so I did. And and then all, all of a sudden I was going to seven meetings a week. Sometimes I was going twice a day and, you know, and now I'm back to, you know, three or, you know, sure. it varies. Um, but the thing that honestly helps me the most is like getting to talk to other like people right. that are struggling. Yeah. Like when I get to go and like share like what my story was, like, here's where I was, here's what I did and here's where I'm at now. And like, here's what I do. Like, that's, that's what I like. That's what I yeah. gained from it all. Yeah, it's absolutely. like, cause somebody at one point told their story to me. So, and that, and that helped. And I heard other people's stories. And then like, as I've continued now, it's like, now I can share mine and maybe that'll help somebody else. So 28 days in Waverly, you get out of Waverly, you go back to your townhouse. No, I, I was still living with my mom, with your at, mom that at that time. Yep. So is you're back at your mom's house. Describe what that first like month is on your own with nobody, no more treatment around you. Are you just slamming meetings? Yeah. So I wasn't, I was still doing, so I was out of inpatient and right away they started me in intensive outpatient. So that was like, still four days a week and I had to go to St. Peter for it because I didn't want to go to Mankato because I still had like this ego thing about, I don't want anybody to know that yeah. I'm doing this and that I'm like, that I'm this person or any of that. Like I, nobody can know it's yeah. this big secret. Right. Yeah. So I was like, I got to go to St. Peter. Well, apparently you can still know people in St. Peter. <laughs> like apparently the 15 miles doesn't make a difference when you've lived oh, in not, an area for 30, yeah. 32 years at that point. That's right? not, that's not a world away. Yeah. That's not a world away. So uh, that whole like plan of mine was ruined from the start. Sure. But the experience wasn't like what I gained by going there. And, and I learned that as I was there. Um, that it wasn't something I had to be ashamed of anymore. It was right. like, this is, this is a part of who I was or am. Damn, yeah. Um, and you know, I, I don't have to still be that same person that I, that I was like, this is who I am now. This is a part of me, but I can move forward. Um, so yeah, those, those first, that first month, like I say, like it was, it was a lot of intense outpatient, but for me, aside from outpatient, it was like, I need to do as much stuff as I can to keep my mind busy. Cause I don't want to be bored. Cause I can't drink anymore. Right. Right. Like, right. and all my things revolved around drinking. Yeah. Right. What do you do? What do you do to stay? Busy? Yeah. So, I mean, I came back and it would have been like the end of March, beginning of April. And so it was like right at the end of my busy season. So I, you know, I went back to work for a little bit. Um, I didn't go full bore. I was, um, ease kind of back into it. But otherwise it was, 
I, I bought a kayak. I started kayaking. I started, I went and bought a bike. I started biking. Like I did all these things that I had never done before. Sure. Um, and started working out more, started just doing anything to keep my mind busy. I actually, I picked up like writing and journaling while I was in treatment. Uh, every day that I was in treatment, I journaled. Um, and so then I started doing that and then I started journaling. Um, I started practicing more like meditation. I learned about that while I was in there. Um, so I was just, I was doing as much as I could to keep my mind off of any thought that I had of drinking or wanting to go downtown or whatever it may be, or pick up because I still at that point hadn't gotten rid of some numbers that I probably should have gotten rid of. Um, so like keeping, (laughs) keeping myself from calling those numbers. Um, did you get rid of those? Oh yeah. I don't know. Yeah. they're, They're gone now. Yeah. But I, I think the last number, it took me almost two years to get rid of it. Sure. Before I finally got rid of that number. That I, tra- was- I tried the journaling thing. They did the same thing when I was at treatment is yep. the journaling and the meditation part of it. And it, I just, I, it's really weird for me to read the shit that I uh, wrote, wrote. Like I had a journal that I had started in uh, when I was in the service mm-hmm. and it freaks the shit out of me. And when I read it, like, and I, I still have it. I'm like, I got to throw this thing away. Cause it, it, it does. And it's kind of the same thing for with this drinking thing. Like I don't necessarily really want to remember that I was at treatment. Like I was right. like, I remember it. Like it's, it was a big part of my sobriety, but I don't need to read it. I don't need right. to read what I was thinking about that day. And like, it just, you don't kinda, find anything therapeutic about that. No, it's, it weirds me out. It really weirds me out to read my own thoughts. I think while for I was me, like, it's not so much that I, like, cause I don't go back and read it. Like I haven't gone back and read what I wrote in treatment. Maybe I should, I don't know. Maybe that's the thing is you just write it out. And like, for me, it was, it was in the moment of like, kind of like pulling it out. Yeah. Of your it's head. just yeah. pulling it out of my head. Yeah, like whether I was going to go back and use it for anything, like not probably not like I haven't, it's been four years and I haven't gone back and read any of it. I still have it. Um, but it, at that time it, it helped me get out of the fact that I'm, you know, sharing a room with four other guys on this military bunk with <sighs> shitty blankets and pillows and one pillow. And I'm a two pillow kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it's just like, it, for those 20 minutes that I would be doing that, it was like my own escape from this reality yeah, that I'm in. Sure. And it's like, it allowed me to like, you know, put myself somewhere else. I, I, you had a different experience than me in, in treatment. I was able to get a, my own room. Oh, and that would've, that it would've was been huge. Cause I was able to go back and just literally lay there and like reflect on what mm-hmm. I did that day and just process it all. Yeah. So that was kind of, I mean, meditation it really yeah. almost meditate. Right. I wasn't thinking I was meditating cause that's, stupid right <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, meditate. yeah no it's certainly a thing that some people do and more power to you that's that's awesome yeah. but yeah i maybe that's the thing that like i didn't have the four other people in the yeah. room i was able to go back and like decompress mm-hmm. and just kind of wind myself down and <laughs> of course there was also a golf course there so i went golfing they <laughs> in treatment did they make you you had to go do an activity like every night. Like um, you couldn't, 
you couldn't just sit around like six o'clock. You had to go like, yeah. So we had a sorry tournament at our treatment. So we had like four boards of sorry with 55 guys and we even drew out the brackets and everything. So that's, it it took us like two weeks to go through this tournament. How did, how did you fare in the sorry tournament? I was like top 10, but I didn't win. Okay. I didn't, I mean, it has nothing to do with skill. Sure. It's, it's complete luck. Right. But they had, they did have a gym like on site and it's just an, it was a cafeteria that turned into a gym. Yeah. You yeah. know, it wasn't really, and they had like a kind of some shoddy workout equipment. Um, but then they'd have like movie nights and stuff. Sure. I think, you know, this is a good thing to, you know, capture on the podcast in, in my opinion, just because this is two similar, you know, you guys both went to treatment, two similar paths, but the way in which you navigated even in, you know, inpatient treatment was different, right? Mm-hmm. And you're the things that you took away um, were unique to yourselves. Exactly. Um, and I think that's something for people to hear is that, uh, you know, just because, journaling didn't work for you and it worked for you and you didn't meditate, but really you did, uh, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Like if, if you're going through treatment or if you're in those positions where you think like, fuck that fucking treatment didn't do shit for me. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, maybe it did. And you just need to maybe look at it and process it a little bit differently. Right. Uh, because, you know, again, we've, we've said it a couple of times on, on the podcast is not a one size fits all, uh, right. you know, answer. Yeah, right. Like there's not, yeah, right. there's so many different ways. Like everybody's right. path is different. Right. And, you know, again, similar stories, mm-hmm. but different outcomes and different takeaways from everybody's experience. Right. And I think that maybe there's somebody out there that's going to listen to this. That's going to say, Oh, you know, I can relate to that. Like, it's oh like oh my cousin went to treatment and he said it sucked and and he had to go he had to write every day and blah right. blah blah but uh, yeah but right. it doesn't you don't have to do that like treatment might be a thing that you need to do but you don't have to have the same experience your cousin had or whatever well right? and i think i think the people that that kind of you know work and populate those those treatment facilities they're there for a reason, right? You know, those people have been around the block. There's nothing that you're going to do. You're not going to come in there and you're going to be like the top, you know, number one worst alcoholic on <laughs> planet earth. Like I just, you know, I don't think that that's that anybody's capable of reaching that. Cause there's always going to be a different story mm-hmm. of somebody that came in that has again, a similar story. And you know, it might be volume. It might be, you know, waking up every morning and having to have a cocktail, like that sort of thing. And they know how to deal with those things. You know, that's the the beautiful thing about, about treatment is those people are licensed. You know, they, a lot of them are recovery are are in recovery themselves. themselves. Uh, because I think that that's one of the, the things that you have to have to be never, a good. I never asked that. To be a good recovery. All of the people who taught the classes and stuff, I never asked them if they were, had their own. A lot of our journey. counselors were, and they yeah. were open about it. And they had like peer, there was a couple of dudes that were there that were like peer yep. support guys that were, had gone through their own recovery and you could kind yep. of 
bounced off. You off went, so whatever, yours but. was through the VA, right? Yeah. Yeah. So was everybody that was working, were they veterans? No, no, were, there was like, there was, there was a couple of gals that were actually twins and they were fresh out of college, maybe like sure. just gotten their license, whatever, like super knowledgeable about their things. Very, um, spongy. They, they took everything in. They were able to process things. They were able to, you know, get back out and ask the questions that needed to be asked. Like I'm, maybe there was, but I, I guess I didn't really ask a whole lot of where everyone was if they were sober or not or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. But with the VA, there's also a military portion of it where like there's guys who are in there that are suffering from severe PTSD from whatever they went through. And there's that landscape that's got to be cleaned away and brushed away as well as your addiction and your drinking every day to, to forget about what you did right. or whatever the case may be. So I think there is a look, might be a, a little bit of difference there, but again, like I didn't, I didn't really ask, but it'd be interesting to see how many of them were recovering, recovering alcoholics or. Yeah. So that was, that was one thing that I actually learned. Uh, you remember Mr. McGinnis? Yeah. From high school. Yeah. Well, I know his nephew. I'm going to see if he'll actually come on at Sweet. some point. That'd be good. Did, uh, did Mr. McGinnis come to Loyola? He was a, Not drug, that I'm aware of. He was a drug counselor. I know through, uh, through ISD 77. So through the public school system here in Mankato. Um, but I remember him talking to us when we were in high school, um, about he was a drug and alcohol counselor. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that he said was I'm in recovery. He's like, I am a recovering alcoholic. Right. Uh, that's when I found out that you always say you're recovering alcoholic. Right. You've never beat alcoholism. Right. Uh, you know, and I remember, <laughs> I, I do distinctly remember thinking back in the day, like, what do you mean you can't beat alcoholism? Like mm-hmm. you haven't drank in 10 years. You've obviously beat it. Well, right. you know, now you hear these stories of people that have gone 20, 30 years and mm-hmm. think that they can have one sip and then they're, you know, they're gone after that. Right. Um, but I remember him saying that he was in recovery and that he was a addict and he had a drug and alcohol background. And mm-hmm. that was what he said was in order to be a good drug and alcohol counselor, you, it helps to have drug and alcohol experience because otherwise you're not going to be genuine to the person right that you're talking with and they're going to know. Right. It's easier to relate when you've actually had the experience. It's a lot different uh, describing a party when we've been at a party or we've been the party versus (laughs) reading a book about a party. Right. Weezer blue album. I should just make this a question. What was your, what was your party album? album. Uh, You know, kind of growing up either through high school or college. I was a, like a song that just makes you want a party. Um, Boy, I don't or know. That was maybe always, reminds me. Maybe always always on, when I think of like, yeah, any it was, party you went it to was any, it was a lot of Dre. It was a lot of Eminem. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was that, it was the chronic 2001 album. Exactly. Oh, yeah. 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 All the way through skip 18. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's skip 18? The song, That's the the song number. Yeah. yeah. Song number 18. Yeah. What was song 18? Pause for porno. So what was the date of your last drink? February 27th of 2019. 
February 27th. That's the first. Oh, well, the last drink was the 26th. First day sober is the 27th. Yeah. 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 Because it was the day before I left for treatment. I did my own little like blow up party by myself. Was that like a half pity party, half like it was uh I've got, I've I'm got. never doing this again. So I'm gonna have one last like I started this by myself, I'm ending this by myself kind of thing. So I sat in my mom's basement and I I bought some of my extracurriculars. I bought my bottle of Jameson, had a few beers, played some video games. I was done by eleven thirty, took a Snapchat, sent it to my good buddy. I said the final line, and then that that was the end of it. That was that. And I haven't, haven't touched it since. This is amazing. So you basically quit cold turkey. Like you didn't wean into this at all. Like well, you said. I mean, he quit cold turkey like we quit cold turkey. I suppose. Well, like I wasn't going to quit. I got, I had to go to jail and getting some deep shit for me to quit. Yeah. Like, I luckily came out with no law. I, I would say, I would say maybe the difference is you did it on your own accord. Right. As opposed to, uh, you know, semi outside forces. Right. Kind of pushing you into a corner where it's either, you know, shit or or get off the pot. Right. uh, Type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was, yeah, that's definitely, I I think the, the proper correct way to look at it, um, is it was Brady's decision. Right. As opposed to a decision Brady made right putting you into that, in that position. position. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause that's the way that's the way it was for, uh, for us. Um, one of the questions that I wrote down that I wanted to talk to you about, and again, you know, you can tell me to kind of fuck off on this question if you want. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I wanted to know was, um, how are your relationships with your children? How were they, in your active addiction and how are they now? Um, so my, I have, well, four daughters. Um, one obviously is stillborn and then the other three. So I really only have a relationship with one of them. Right. Okay. Um, so I'll just speak to that. Sure. Um, so during active addiction, um, <clears throat> she was still, you know, it would have been, 2007 till 2019. So up to the age of 12 years old. So she was aware of what was going on a little bit, but it was a lot of like, daddy's always sleeping or we always got to go get daddy's car. Like, so she, she saw a lot of that. I, I always stayed in her life. I never got out of it at any point, but I wasn't the thing that, that we both lost is I was never actively present during those years. Right. Sure. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing because I remember like shortly after getting out of treatment, um, it was probably in like May or something. And we were just playing like catch. And I was like, this is the most enjoyable thing I've ever done. And I've done this with her how many other times before that, but like, I never like really presently made myself there while I was doing that. And like appreciated what I was getting to do in that moment where once I was able to remove the um, like the alcohol or the drug or everything, or even the side effects of it, um, I was able to be more present in those moments. Um, 
And so for me, that's been the biggest change is one, I'm not sleeping all the time. Um, well, I still sleep, but right. uh, it's not because I'm hung over. It's just because I'm old. Right. So, <laughs> and I like naps. Yeah. Hey, but naps are awesome. Um, yeah. So for me, the, the relationship changed based on, you know, just having that more present presence of, yeah. Not exactly. Well, sure yeah. Present, yeah. I mean, just presence, presence just in, in general. general yeah. 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 Just to be there, I think. And maybe more so appreciate the time. Yeah. You know, um, I, I can look back at some of the, the times that I would with, uh, with Christina, you know, we would be doing something that would be more of her friends, her event, mm-hmm. um, you know, like let's go hang out with this group of people that were, you know, on her side of the friends fence. Um, and basically it was a countdown in my head of what time is it? And then how long till I can drink, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, will there be drinking there? Bonus. Now I'm in. Right. Uh, you know, I remember we went to a Christmas party at her, uh, at her best friend's house and she was like, you know, we don't have to stay the whole night. And we got there and they're ripping drinks. And I just basically looked at her and I was like, you're driving back. Okay, let's go. Now I'm having fun. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, so I think it's just being able to be there. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's just, yeah. that makes the biggest difference. Um, and it's something that you, you don't even know that you're missing. That's one right. of those things that I feel like is, uh, you know, a side effect, a, a bonus, uh, you know, awesome. What the fuck is the word I'm looking for? No idea. Positive, positive bonus activity feature. Yeah. 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 Might uh, need to get the thesaurus on that one. Yes. Uh, but just a positive side effect. Get the to, chat. Mm-hmm. chat. What's that? Chat, what's, what's that, what's that word? word? <laughs> what's that? Type that word. Spam that word that I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, but just, just, a, that's what it is. Is a, It's a positive side effect that, you know, you just don't, uh, you don't even really know that you're going to get. And then all of a right. sudden you, you play catch and you're like, wow, this is fucking awesome. Right. You know? And it's like, Oh shit. That would, this could have been awesome the whole time. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but now you just kind of are finally understanding the. the so gravity. you're, um, I asked you like, how hard was it to get? Well, I didn't ask you how hard it was, but that first month yep. after treatment, was fairly easy. You would say that wasn't too bad. It honestly, I don't think that because when I came out of treatment and they, <clears throat> I've heard it said a lot, like you come out with this like treatment high because mm-hmm. you're like, you know, you've got you're gonna, sobriety yeah, that's, and you're that's like, like going to sales a, training. Yeah. You, know, you are you're so, yeah. You're so yeah. jacked up. King of the world. Yeah. Man. You're like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to accomplish all these things. Now that I'm sober, like I have this much more mental capacity and I can do so much more stuff. Yeah. And so then you like, you go and you sign up for college and you go and you, (laughs) and you buy all these things. Your brain is just, and, and then you get through your first semester and you're kind of like, God, maybe this was not quite, maybe I got a little, a little out of myself here. Um, but for me, like where it started, like where reality started, like set in and it's like, okay, like I can't, I can't continue to live my life at this pace. Right. Mm -hmm. This like high level Mm -hmm. pace. 
Um, I would say it was probably more like six to six months to a, even a year after of being sober. It was sure. more like, then it was like, okay, what are some realistic things? And like, how do I realistically live my life? Like right. I can't just constantly be going on trips or constant, which I, okay. I still do that quite a bit, but <laughs> I was going to say, you're talking I, about, you're I talking about this weekend or next weekend you're going to Florida. Yeah. I haven't stopped that one yet. No, that's fine. But I mean, you have the money to do that now. You have right. the, you know, the, the capacity to do that. I yeah. And before time, I was scrounging up money to go to the bar <laughs> yeah. to, you know, whatever I needed it for. So oh, that's what, so, the after, that's what the after bar was for. Right. right, that's, right. Why, that's why we'd show up at the after bar yeah. and smoke all the cigarettes. And fuck. I don't miss that. <laughs> Pass out in the recliner. And so my, that question is a loaded question and leading into another question was in what, how hard is it now? But it's, it sounds like you came out of treatment, you started hitting the meetings, yep. you kept busy you basically got your life back in order and it's just been a smooth straight. It, I wouldn't say it's been just this like smooth. This hasn't been a, there hasn't been bumps in the road sure. or it's been just the easiest thing I've ever done. Um, but I, I, I mean, I know getting sober and like getting to the point I am now, um, or, well, let's just say even like two years of like getting through and like clearing a lot of that wreckage that, that was hard. Yeah. Like going through that, having those conversations and doing all that today, like maintaining and like staying sober is a lot easier than getting sober in the beginning. Right. Um, and yeah. that's, that's kind of the point I'm, I'm, right. I'm reaching for is like, there is a grind period there is. of this is it might be a year. It could be two years, it, three years. It, and there's where, no timetable on where you eventually get to where this kind of, you almost just plateau mm -hmm. and you can just get on this where it just, the downs aren't so low know, and the highs aren't so high. Yes. And you're on this just real nice wavelength and you're just kind of riding it right. where like, I don't have much for real downers. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have much. I, you know, the highs are highs. That's great. Right. But my lows aren't very low. Yeah. What I tell people is where I find like, if we're talking about like peace and serenity is if I can find myself like right in the middle, like I'm not low, I'm not high. Like where I, my sweet spot is just right in the middle. Like content. I've got just, a, I've got a counselor, okay. counselor friend that, uh, um, who, who basically kind of taught me that basically, when, when things are good, like you need to bank those moments mm -hmm. either in your brain or in your journal, I mean, whatever the case may be, but save those moments up for the times when things start dipping back down right. and then can't try to try to establish your baseline. Right. And then, you know, use that positivity to, um, you know, bring it back, bring yourself back to that middle ground mm -hmm. because, that's, that's truly where we all live and where we all kind of survive and thrive mm -hmm. where, you know, both, I think the, the super positives as well as the super lows in the hardest days, um, are where things kind of get a little bit tricky. Right. 
you know, that's where that's, those are the danger zones mm-hmm. um, where you find yourself in, in situations, um, you know, where you, you, you can't, can't see yourself out of harm's way. Right. So looking back to the last four and a half, five years here, mm-hmm. you're five years, right? Almost. It'll oh. be in oh, yeah. February, February would be five years. Right. Anyone that absolutely sticks out that's been the most influential person in your journey? Um, most influential person. Like I would, this person has helped me out like the most. I mean, my sponsor absolutely has, yeah. but um, yeah. from there, it's not that like one person sticks out, but just the fact that like when I did do this and I've done this is to see how supportive like so many people are of it. Mm-hmm. And like, cause I was thinking, I was like, nobody's gonna, like, I'm not gonna have any friends. Like all nobody, friends, you yeah. know? And yeah, all gone. yeah, are there some people that I don't talk to anymore? Yeah. And it's fine that I don't anymore. Yeah. Um, but the people that stayed and that don't like push or judge or any of that. Um, I mean, knowing and actively seeing that support is so just not everybody gets that. Right. You know, some people fall back into situations where they're dealing with a lot of negativity. Like I fell into a situation like I had six or seven of my friends. They sent a box and they all wrote me personal letters while I was in treatment. Like, mm. And that was just like the coolest mm. thing. Like I just yeah, like start crying, awesome. you know, yeah. like, and like one, one guy wrote it on, <clears throat> wrote it like Game of Thrones and like took like paper and like burnt the edges and like made it like a scroll and like tied it up Jeez. and like stamped it. Oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. So, but as like a single most influential person, I mean, yeah, like my sponsor helped me get sober, like showed me what I needed to do and how I need, you know, gave me a suggestion of how I needed to do it. Did you know your sponsor before they became your sponsor? No. So that was all through like local meetings and yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That was, um, one of the meetings I was going to was it's no longer a meeting anymore after COVID it turned out, but, and it was just like four old timers and then me. And I loved it because I was like, um, I don't really have to talk a whole lot and it just, it just, I didn't feel any pressure where like going into like a big meeting, it was kind of overwhelming or like I went to one, like my first meeting was down at fifth Ave at like six o'clock on a Thursday. And I went down there and I was just like super overwhelmed. Yeah. It's like, what is going on here? Like these people are all super fucked up and I'm not that bad. (laughs) Oh, that's just such a common theme. Yeah. And like, they have a lot of problems and like, they should, I'm going to go talk to these old guys that don't have any problems. Right. Right. um, And one of those old guys ended up being my sponsor and he just happened to be at that meeting. Um, And then, yeah, like a month, he had given me a business card actually. (laughs) And then I called him like a month later and he answered the phone. So yeah. have you always been able to talk to other people about your sobriety? I always say we're non-anonymous about our sobriety. Now, like there's, there's alcoholics anonymous where there are alcoholics that are still very much like, Hey, I want to be anonymous in this whole thing where we are like, "Eh, fuck it. We're going to tell you our story. We're going to tell you how this, I don't have an issue with, 
telling people. If people ask, I'm going to tell them. Yeah. Right. Whether yeah. I'm going to share like every single sure. yeah. detail, yeah. absolutely not. But you know, I'm, I, I, it's part of who I am. It's part of exactly. where I got to today. And it, you know, it's just maybe something that I say that to somebody makes sense to them and it helps them. Yeah. Well, you're taking ownership. You're taking right. ownership of who you were, right. who you are and where you want to be. And I think talking about it a lot, you know, for me certainly puts you in that, keeps you in that mindset. Right. It keeps you disciplined. It yep. keeps you, it keeps you focused on what you really need to do and why you really want to live the rest of your life really. So, right. Yeah, well, it's a, and here's one of the things that I want to, that I want to kind of address it. It's been a feeling of mine. This is definitely a me thing. Um, I feel like people might from the outside looking in, I'm sure that um, I thought that maybe even a little bit about you and your story. Uh, you know, when I first kind of heard it is like, Oh fuck, I'm, you know, everything's going to always be about Tony being sober, which was obviously not the case. Obviously. Sorry. Which was not the case. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, but I feel like myself, when I start talking to somebody about it, that I almost come off as preachy, but I've now accepted it to be, you know, a big part of AA is the giving back right, and the paying it forward and mentoring the next guy and helping mm -hmm. that next guy sharing your story. So I, I kind of talked myself out of like Tyson, you're being preachy because I've been, you know, just more focused on the fact that this is a Alcoholics Anonymous mantra is right. you have to give back because there is somebody out there listening mm -hmm. and you will tell somebody about this story and they'll relate. Mm -hmm. And then that will be maybe the push that gets them to even start thinking about being sober. Or maybe it's the, the next thought that gets them to the next day right. of being sober or the next hour, the next minute, you know, we, we all are familiar with the stories um, of those people out there that, that that's how much time they have. And that's how much mm -hmm. time they need to make it is, will I make it this next second without drinking right. the booze that's down the street or in the room or, you know, wherever it may be. Um, but when you're taught, when, when you are saying you're being preachy, you're not like, you're probably talking to somebody that somewhat knows you. Right. You're not going to a plead straighter like, I'm Tyson and I'm an alcoholic and here's what you need to do. Let me tell you about sobriety, brother. Yeah, yeah, you're not doing that. Here, so it's Here it is. Yeah, it's somebody who I'm going to start doing that, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. Just wear a big shirt that just says, fucking sober. <laughs> Talk to me. Yeah. I know. No. Yeah. No, it's going to say, I'm fucking sober. I'm coming to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just going to start walking around downtown with it and there watch people just scatter like fucking roaches in the light. <laughs> the devil is here. The devil is here. That's going to be you with the big sun. <laughs> just, just scaring the, scaring the alcohol out of people. All right. Well, we're getting a little long here. Um, I wanted to do, this is a new thing that, uh, I literally just typed up as we were sitting here. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Did I say obviously again? No, you didn't, but, uh, oh. I wanted to throw it in there. Sorry. Um, I want to ask you a couple questions. I don't know if this is necessarily a speed round. 
feel like this is a common uh, podcast thing to kind of round out uh, the podcast. Um, Brady Smith, again, thank you for being here. Appreciate you taking yeah. the time to, to be here with us. Appreciate you guys having me. Um, one of the things that I want to know is uh, in your journey, what has been your favorite cliche um, in the sobriety world? One to hit a time. One, One day, day at a time. time. Yeah. Is it your favorite because you actually, you, you buy into one day at a time or. No, I buy into it a hundred percent. Cause yeah. the idea of like thinking for one that I'm never going to drink again is incredibly overwhelming. Yes. Very much. Um, and just the thought of like, I don't know, just, it keeps me a little bit more present. Yeah. Like I don't have to worry about what's going to happen in an hour or two hours or tomorrow or the next day. Like I just need to do what I'm doing today and I don't need to be sober tomorrow. I just have to be sober today. Absolutely. Yeah. Good, good answer. Good answer. Um, what is your favorite sober moment since uh, February of 2019 when you had your last drink? Favorite sober moment or funniest sober moment? Funniest. Let's go with funniest. Okay. So funniest sober moment for me would have been we were kayaking what would have been considered the Minnesota river. The river was way up. Um, this would have been right after I got sober. Um, in like April snow melt rivers, incredibly high. It's up into the fields. And you're relatively new to kayaking. And I'm like, <laughs> this is my second time kayaking. And so I, our family has some land down on the Judson bottom road. So I was like, okay, I, Got a couple of my buddies. I was like, Hey, I have this great idea. We're going to go kayaking in the woods and it'll be like, we're in the like, rainforest, you know, like, and it was, it was awesome. It was great. And so we're kayaking, we're going and we get to a spot where the river was curving. And for the most part, we were staying off of the river because it was so high, the current, we sure. didn't want to be on it. And I got a little bit further out into the river and then I tried to get cut back into the woods. I cut back into the woods and my kayak got slammed up against a tree and flipped sideways. And luckily there was like a mound and we're talking like the river's incredibly high. The mound like ended up being up to like my waist. So like I'm in waist deep water in April <sighs> in the Minnesota river while my kayak is getting pushed up against this tree. And my two buddies, one is downstream just a little bit with his phone recording me why I'm doing this. The other one is just laughing. Sure. Why I'm trying to like lift my, my kayak up, up to the tree. So like these two trees are holding it and it like, it ended up going between the trees and I had to grab it with my arm and like pull it back in. And then I'm like oh sliding up a tree to like dump the water out so that I could get back into the kayak. And about 25 minutes later, finally get my kayak upright, get some water out of it. <laughs> We're going down and we find a deer stand. And so I had to like climb up the deer stand and like pull the spout out and like drain the rest of the water. And I don't know. It was. Can you still kayak? Yeah. Jesus. That'd yeah, be right. the end yeah. of it for me. Yeah. Um, that was, I don't know. At the time it wasn't as funny. Yeah. But like looking back and it's like, I can still do stupid shit sober. Sure. As right. I, can't, oh I don't need yeah. to be drunk to yeah. do stupid stuff. Yeah. Um, because later on, like a month, no, like a year later, I think with the same friend I tipped in the blue earth river 
on a, and I got caught in an eddy mm. and I was like, I didn't know what an eddy was at that time, but an eddy is where there's an obstruction and the water's going back upstream. Oh. And so it was pushing me back up against the rock and I'm trying to swim out of it, but I'm just swimming in place in place. Yeah. And like I had a life jacket, but it was on my kayak. Nice. Good place I, for it. Yeah. So I took my draw. I had a, like a drawstring backpack and I put that on before I went through the rapids. Cause I knew there were big rapids. And I thought that I needed that more than the life jacket. And then I tip. And so I'm trying to swim and this like drawstring backpack is going down my arms. Oh my God. And finally I learned if you just go sideways, sideways yep. and then the, the current on the other side, I'll just push you downstream and yep. it's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got to walk backwards. But so, Still very capable of doing some stupid, absolutely stupid right. things. Absolutely, that's awesome. I would like to know who is on your Mount Rushmore of sober people, if you have one. If you can think of four of the, I don't know, your favorite, most profound. Well, I read Russell Brand's book, okay. and that's pretty. It's pretty funny and. Um, so I just based on reading his book, he'd probably be on there. Um, Robert Downey Jr. would be on there. Eminem would be on there for sure. Um, I, what Rushmore has five, four, four. four. Yeah. Um, be egotistical of me to put myself on there. Yeah. So right. I won't we go on there, but, um, I, I don't know. Those three for sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, hey, this is uh, the first round of the speed round that we've ever done. So great, great answers. Yeah, great answers. <laughs> um, Brady, it's, uh, yeah, it's been really good. Uh, this, I love listening to people's stories and uh, it's, we kind of poke fun of it, Tyson and I, about how like, when somebody says they're, they've been sober for so long, you get them, you know, a little applause or whatever, but, um, to be, to coming up on five years sober is, is truly amazing from, from what it sounds like. Yeah. And I can say that I'm, I'm definitely proud of you, um, as kind of a somewhat of a stranger, but, uh, it, it, there's truly a pride in this that, that uh, needs to be recognized and, and you're killing it and you're doing a really Thank good you. job. And, uh, I think you'll be, a definitely a good sponsor to somebody someday, maybe, or an influence to somebody certainly down this journey. So, uh, it's, it's, it's been real. I, I truly appreciate you, you coming on yeah. here. I am going to say, uh, I don't know if you remember the conversation that you and I had, um, it was right after you were maybe a year sober and I saw you, it was maybe at our one buddy's house. Um, or maybe it was downtown at one of the bars, but, yep. um, I'd looked at you and said, uh, you know, no way. I thought uh, I, I couldn't th ever think of myself doing it really didn't ever think that you, it was possible, but for you. Right. And I remember that there had been a significant amount of time, so it must've been over a year. Um, so I was really proud of you at that point. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think I said to you after I got sober was that looking at you and knowing, you know, a little bit of your story and kind of where you were at, I feel like we kind of 
we're in the same right. sort of party mode yep. and hung out with the same people. We're and, in some of the same crowds. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, you were truly an inspiration to my sobriety. Thank you. Um, so I thank you for that. That's been, uh, you know, a great, it's been a great asset to have you. Um, it was great to have you in, in Vegas at that bachelor party. Uh, yeah, you were the whole reason that I went once I heard you were going, I was like, I'm not going if I'm the only sober guy there, there's gotta be another one. So shout out to the groom for, for, for kind of cornering cornering us together. But it was like rooming you. yeah, Yeah. I think we were just like, Yes. Yeah. Because I've said that. I've said that oh, to was, other people too. It's like, I don't think I could have. No, I wasn't going to. It would have been a lot harder. Right. Uh, you know, running in, in that group of guys. Yeah. And, you know, the dark clubs of Vegas. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, what's that? Yeah. Right. You know. All right. So to wrap it up, best piece of advice you can give to somebody uh, maybe looking into sobriety or somebody that's just starting off their journey? Uh, Best piece of advice that I could give is, you know, don't wait, don't, don't hold back. Like if it's, if you feel like you're struggling with this, you know, reach out to somebody, talk to somebody, um, whether it's, you know, a parent, a friend, a counselor, whoever, just start talking about it. Um, even if you're not ready at that point to quit, I know when I started talking about it, I wasn't ready to quit, but I talked about it long enough and finally it got me to a point of quitting. But, um, yeah, just be willing to talk about it. Like that, that took so much courage to do that from the start. Um, and a lot of people just, that's, that's why they keep doing it. Cause they don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So 100%. just say something to somebody. Right. Absolutely. Great. Absolutely. Great advice. Uh, well with that, uh, we thank you everybody for giving us your time and, uh, checking out two dudes that don't drink with three dudes that don't drink, uh, tonight with our special guest, Brady Smith. Thank you again for your time, sir. Thank Um, you. We look forward to having you on again and, uh, yeah. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you. We out. Out. Deuces.